Welcome back to Driven Minds. My name is Gigi, and this is a Type 7 podcast. So it is the last episode of season two, but actually, before we even go there, minor PSA, actually big PSA, which is please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen to us on because we love you and... We would like you to love us back. My team and I read every single review and often get emotional, mostly me, while doing so. So if you want a shortcut to my heart, that is the way to do it. So as I mentioned, this episode is our season two finale, meaning we are taking a small hiatus for a couple of months. But we have 24 conversations stockpiled for you on the interwebs. So please check them out until we come back for our third season if the world does not end before we get there. Today, I'm joined by supermodel and former Victoria's secret angel, Monica Yagachuk, better known as Jack Monica. Even if you are not familiar with her name, you will know her face because her likeness has been pretty much everywhere since she first made waves in 2007 when she became the face of Hermes when she was just 13 years old. I know you're thinking that is very young, and yes, it is very young, and we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of all of this. Name a brand, and Jack has walked for them, from Chanel to Prada to Louis Vuitton, Dior, Valentino, etc., She's been in the pages of Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, all those glossies. And in 2015, she became a Victoria's Secret Angel. I met Jack around 10 years ago through a mutual friend. She is Polish. I am Polish. And no one can ever pronounce our last names on the first try, which was an immediate bonding point. Jack also lives in Berlin, but I was back in the U.S. over the holidays, so we recorded this remotely. Be prepared for mentions of all scatological and bodily things like periods and poop. You heard it here first. But these are important things to talk about because we normalize all the things that we don't talk about enough, the war cry of driven minds. So here it is, our final episode of season two, the finale finale, my conversation with Monica Yagacek, a.k.a. Jack. Tell me about how Jack came to fruition. An agent chose it, right? That's right. I was 13 at the time. I signed with an agency in Paris. So they came to my local agency in Poland and scouted some girls and then invited me for some tests. Back then, they were kind of like jumping on opportunities to get the girls the youngest possible. So So they brought me into Paris. And it was almost like a trend at the time that they would change the the names, because I, I met so many girls that had in the same years had a different nicknames. So yeah, I became Jack within like two seconds of meeting the people in the agency. Yeah. They just saw Yaga Jack and they went, hmm, Jack. So all right. And you were cool with it. I mean, how much opinion do you have at 13? You're already thrown right. in this crazy world. I barely spoke any English. Right. I mean, even my mother, Angel, who was with me at the time, her English was so terrible. I don't even know if we were aware that we just agreed to this. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning because you're from a small town near Poznan, Pushtakova, right? Yeah, good job. 
just showing off <laughs> my flawless Polish. <laughs> there it is, the Polish skills. There you go, no. there you go. And it's it's sandwiched between a forest and a river, and according to the dark webs, it has a population of 9,000 people. So it sounds like my personal Eastern European fairy tale. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of your childhood? Uh, safety, for sure. Mm. I mean, I would walk to my school like, 200 meters, you know, like mm. I would leave five minutes before my classes started. And mm-hmm. my mom would teach in one school. I would go to the other school. There's only two schools in the city. It was impossible to, for example, skip a class because I would, <laughs> I knew that my parents would know that within a couple hours, you know, because everybody knew each other. So, so there was a beauty about it. I feel like because I was in that city and even though I was working so young, I could still have my childhood. I could still mm. come back from Paris and play Barbies because I was in this little town. Got it. And what did the local baker think of the fact that you were like this supermodel? I mean, there had to be a bit of a cognitive dissonance for everyone in the town, no? Yeah, it's kind of like nobody really gave a shit. <laughs> it was like, I just came back and I was Monica and nobody really cared, you know? I mean, if I would say, oh, I just walked Chanel, they would be like, what's Chanel? You know? Right. Um, so... There was no reason for me to talk about it too much. Mm. So yeah, I think as long as you don't you don't try to act like a supermodel in your hometown, you you they will be okay with that. When they gave you a new identity, did it stop there? Like did you have to take on all the jobs that the agency wanted you to take or did you have any semblance of control or say about your career? I mean, I wish I could say yes that I had, but I don't think I did. And it had to do with the fact that I started so early. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they they called me Jack and I had no objections and I probably didn't really know if this is good or bad or if I like it. Yeah. I just had no opinion. Uh-huh. And I think because it started there, it never really changed even until like I was in my 20s that I just followed the lead. And mm-hmm. the worst for me even today now, like even though I'm, I'm a grown up and I'm a mom and all this, like... Yeah. I need somebody to almost tell me what to do. Like it's it's a crazy right. thing that when you're when you grow up being told how to look, how to walk, how to do this, do that, do this. I still struggle with making those big decisions. And you know, if I would never wake up and be like, "Oh, I want to be blonde today." Just because it's it just doesn't come to me anymore. I'm like, "Oh, that's it's almost like it feels wrong." Almost if I would grow up with a religion that like tells me not to do this. When did you realize that this constant control that your agency was exerting upon you and the lack of control and say you had in your own life was a problem. I, I was like on a roll forever, basically from childhood until I was what, 22, 23, then VS, so Victoria's Secret, like that was like a very intense two years with them. And then I got sick in 2016. And that's when a lot of my I like reprogrammed a little bit because I realized that health and like the time I have is super precious. Mm -hmm. So if the phone is not calling, I shouldn't be sitting and being upset that it's not calling. I should be just doing and moving on with other things. What happened in 2016? I uh, got diagnosed with colitis, which is kind of, yeah, like a... Um, a version of Crohn's. I guess Crohn's is more known, so that's easier to explain. Mm -hmm. We were actually in Europe when it got really bad. 
So mm-hmm. I ended up with a doctor in Munich, uh, mm-hmm. and we spent pretty much three months just in bed, like getting IVs and not being able to to get any food in my body and uh, just living on drips. And luckily, I had my husband with me, or back then my fiance, who did an amazing job at like keeping me alive and keeping me positive and basically like pushing food in my mouth <laughs> so I could survive. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it it it's changed my priorities. So it was as 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 bad as it was, it was also great. What symptoms does colitis have? One of my closest friends has Crohn's. So it's. It's not far from what Crohn's is. You just get uh, a huge stomach pains and you basically spend, once it's there, once it's awake (laughs) and going, you spend most of your days on your toilet. So it's just really not a fun experience. You know, and on top of it, because because you're losing pretty much all your nutrition from your body, uh, you become anemic and depressive and, you know, all of that creates just a pretty shitty situation. That's actually a really good word to describe this. Unintended, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've also been there actually. Um, When I started working at Vogue, I A, lost my period and B, I had so much anxiety because if the phone was ringing, I had to pick it up, obviously. So I couldn't just go to the bathroom when I wanted to. And Mm -hmm. as a result, I got so much anxiety about always being near the phone that I actually had something similar where I I just didn't go to the bathroom. I could not go to the bathroom for like two, three weeks. I ended up being hospitalized. And they gave me, yeah, I went to the ER. They gave me a medical grade laxative and it did nothing. I got (gasps) CAT scans and I would literally go from the ER bed to the office. And it was it was an absolute nightmare. And I remember being on set and just feeling, I mean, I guess we kind of had opposite problems, but, um, you know, I like couldn't shit to save my life. But I remember being <laughs> on set and just being so miserable having to do my job and feeling like I couldn't move. Like that stomach stuff messes yeah. up your life in a way that like few other ailments do. Yeah. Like I and I can't imagine what it's like being on set and kind of like not even really being able to do your job, right? And some No, that this com- that's that's I think that's the thing. It's more psychological than it is even physical. Like mm. the discomfort totally. level that you have and it's also I mean there's a lot of taboo subjects but like you know, especially if you don't know somebody, you don't really want to talk about like your mm-hmm. stomach problems. It's not yeah. a fun subject. Your poop. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being like, oh, just just to make sure where is the toilet before we yeah. start shooting, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was not fun. I've, the funny thing is like, I have, like, I have no problem talking about any of this Same. anymore at all. Like I've learned to just kind of like, say to people before they ask. Um, I also got involved with the, with the organization in U.S. called Crohn's and Colitis, um, oh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Yeah, my friend's involved as well. Exactly. So I got to meet a lot of people who have the same problem and it, that's, that's the best because that's the only way you can feel normal. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. The sad part is that, you know, it's still like, it's a silent disease. I mean, you don't you know, you kind of struggle and you do your bathroom trips and everything and you you don't really 
nobody really knows. So mm-hmm. I think the important thing is that, you know, it's super nice to hear that you're so open about it and you're, you know, it's your own podcast and you're like, well, I'm going to just say this. Yeah. I think it's super cool because unless we speak about it, then, you know, totally. it's always going to be taboo. Yeah. So when you were sick, what was going through your head? I mean, you know, those very big questions of like what really matters and do I really want to spend my time waiting for somebody's approval and those jobs and have I not done enough already? Maybe it's time to do something else. Mm -hmm. I always think about others before I think about myself. So this was a little bit of that realization being like, oh, maybe answering an email or a call from my agent isn't a priority right now. So I remember being super skinny. I mean, I ended up being like 45 kilograms at some point. Oh my God. And so my contract was about to run out with Victoria's Secret. So my agent from New York called me up and she was like, do you like, can you make it for the casting for the next show in New York? And I was like, like, you don't understand. Like, I'm really sick. Mm-hmm. And I put the phone down and I get another email being like, well, just making sure that you cannot get on this plane. It would be really nice if you show up. And I send her picture in the mirror when I'm like in my underwear and just bones and skin. And she answered, holy shit, I'm sorry. You know, like it wow. it took that for for somebody who is like wanting to basically make money and make it work to be like, okay, now I understand. Mm. there's definitely a part of you that's like, oh, I need to be good to them. I need to impress them in some way. Because they make you feel that, I'm sure. Like how lucky are you to be signed with IMG? How lucky are you to get the product campaign? Well, they're holding the power, you know? Like they are so money driven right now that I know if I say no to a job, somebody else will do it. So where does that leave you? It's gotten better, um... I really am happy of what happened in last three, four years, you know, mm-hmm. with the Me Too and a lot of stories coming out. Mm. A lot of the, let's say, bad people are gone. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the fact I'm still like impressed when I go to um, do a shoot and I have a changing room. I'm like, what? What happened? Crazy. Like, I'm so used to just standing in the middle of the room and like undressing. And I've only realized now how how that's like, you know, it's F up. Like I shouldn't be <laughs> yeah. doing this. Yeah. And the fact that I, that I, I can go into like uh, a changing room and like put my own socks, which normally like the stylist would like be like, oh, I put your socks. Why? <laughs> like, right, I'm, right. I'm able to put my own socks on. Yeah. So people became a little bit more aware that like we have to treat models as humans. So that's the good change. Right. I find it fascinating because you brought up Me Too and I feel like as Me Too continues to build steam, the behavior and verbiage that was formerly permissible and normalized is now not. And I feel the more stories that come out and the more that I reflect on things that have happened, even to me, that I've accepted or didn't think much of at the time, now Mm. I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe he did that or he said that or why didn't I say no? Like, where was my voice at the time? Mm -hmm. Do you also think back to certain experiences you've had on set or things that have happened to you and think, oh my God, I can't believe that happened or where was my voice? Because only now you have the lens to see that Mm -hmm. in a different light. So I personally don't think that anything such a... I mean, I was lucky. Let's say I was lucky. I was definitely lucky seeing what was happening and... I mean, I've seen it happen. Like I've seen drugs around. I've seen like, this is part of the business and 
I hope it's not as bad as it used to be. But I'm like a a little bit of a naive person. I hate Mm -hmm. and love it about myself Mm -hmm. that I know that I was in a situation when I was 16, 17 where things could go south. Mm -hmm. And I do recall one story, and this is very early on when I was 14 and I went to Singapore and I was doing the photographer that I was working with a lot they were, I mean, they were fully aware that I was my age, but they would ask sexy, sexy. And, you know, like, I mean, I've never had a boyfriend, never had sex, you know, right. but I was kind of like, because I look how I looked like, and I was half undressed, I didn't have to do much. So I was <laughs> managing to be sexy, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. one day we were uh, shooting in a pool and I was dressed in a swimsuit and I just got my period. I was 14. And like first time. Well, one of the first times, like just like one of those like awkward times that I, I might have had it before, but you know, right. months before, whatever. But I'm in this situation and I'm like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. I need to wear a swimsuit and I need to get in the pool. Right. And I asked the stylist, it's like, oh, do you have a tampon? She gives me a tampon. I'm like, fuck, I've never used a tampon in my entire life. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I'm in this hotel, in this like fancy hotel where we're shooting. Wearing yeah. white swimsuit. Of all colors. Yes. I get in the bathroom and I almost fainted. Like, I'm trying to put a tampon. I'm freaking out. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, um, I just want to hug you. <laughs> I, I managed to figure it out or whatever. Like, I just hope for the best. Yeah. I get in the pool. It takes like 30 minutes to get the shot. I get out and I start crying. And I don't show oh. anybody the confusion and the how terrified I was. I mean, now nowadays I would totally be like, oh, sorry, I made this like underwear is bleeding. Sorry, this is me. Like yeah. everyone would understand that. But back then this was, I would never say anything, you know, being this like terrified girl. So totally. yeah, that's pretty fucked up that at 14, I'm shooting something sexy and having on top of it this like first experience. I was just thinking as you were telling that story, it took me so long to figure out how to put a tampon in. I wore pads <laughs> in circumstances. Like when yeah. I had to go swimming, I would like put a pad on. And my mom would, like I remember we were in Jamaica. My mom was like, Gillian, like what are you doing? You can't like <laughs> use a tampon. I was like, I am too scared. Like I don't want something in there. I also hadn't had sex or really any sexual experience at that point. So I also was just so blindsided by... You know, I was like, well, how are you going to do this? Like, how does this go up in my vagina? Like, the whole thing was like Mars to me. You know what I mean? So I can't, I have so much empathy for you. Like, having to figure this out when you're shooting in a swimsuit and you're 14 and your mom's not there. And you probably feel like weird asking the stylist to like show you how to insert a tampon in your vagina anyway. I'm completely... I, uh, the <laughs> totally year after, the year after we went, I went for a vacation when with my parents and my best friend was my age from back from high from school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were going to pool every day, obviously. And she got her period and she was like, I'm not going to the pool. I'm not going to do this. And that was the person standing next to her and like helping her to put a tampon. Oh. And I, <laughs> Giving it back. And I'm like, and it I, back. Exactly. And I was thinking to myself, this should be the way, you know, this should yeah. be the way that like either your mom or like a friend is there totally. being like supportive and holding your hand. Because totally. I mean, it's really, it's really not fun. <laughs> oh, totally. Something similar to me actually happened. I have actually put a tampon in another woman's vagina because I was just like, this is how you do it. It's just like, this is how you do it. I mean, when you're 16, like everyone's lost, you know, no one knows yeah, which yeah. way is up or like, you know, what anything's supposed to be. Not that anything's supposed to be anyway, but yeah, no, I'm totally <laughs> with you. 
You mentioned when you were 16 that something happened that could have gone south. Do you feel okay talking about that? Um, I mean, it's not like a one story or something, but right. back in, you know, early 2000s, um, they would send super, super young girls, like 13, 14, 15 from all over Eastern Europe, which is insane. Like you would be taken by the promoters, you know, you go to the club and you're like a unicorn in the club. So, right. you know, there is, yeah. I mean, yeah. anything is given at this point. So I've seen some pretty wild thing happening to very young girls there. But I was the one who was working every single day, sometimes two jobs a day. So I, you know, even if I wanted to do that, um, I wouldn't be able to. Like drugs, partying, staying out late. Exactly. Right. You know, drugs, partying, meeting male models, all that stuff Mm -hmm. that was always happening there. Do you think the amount of hours you worked wouldn't even be legal anymore today? Oh, for sure. There was days where... I would get up at five, get in like the set van, do 30 pictures on one job and go to another job and come back at like 9, 10 p.m. home. And did you like doing this or were you... I don't I don't think I thought about it much. I mean, I was just happy that I was working. Like right. all I knew is that most of the... A lot of the people who come don't work. And it was such a strange time then that they would literally... They would be like... 50 girls in the city trying to get jobs and two or three would work nonstop and the other just wouldn't work at all. Crazy. And I was one of the ones that would just work all the time. But you know, I mean, to be fair, I remember coming back from the first contract and (laughs) they would pay in cash back then from the agency. And, you know, you're not supposed to bring more like than what, $10,000 across borders, Mm -hmm. right? Right. In cash. And we got all, like, we got the cash. And my mom was like, she was so afraid to even, like, get in a plane with this cash (laughs) that she ended up sewing it into her jacket. (laughs) I like that move. I love it. She's a G. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So. um, Knowing that you could make what you did, how did that feel? To be, you know, 15, 16, I'm sure most of your friends were working jobs that were, you know, more localized or, you know, in Pustakova and you were kind of making more money than, you know, you've probably ever seen in your life. I grew up with the idea that the best way to do for yourself is to create safety. Mm-hmm. I I love to know that I, I made some money, but it, it didn't make me feel any better or I wasn't, my parents were really good at like keeping me down to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, like, I think I only once had the moment when I was 16, I think, when my agent from New York was like, well, how about you move to New York and you go to this like Polish high school and you finish here? And I was like, fuck yeah, I can do this. And I came to my parents with this idea. Like I had like my notebook and I was like, well, we can do this, this, this. And mom can come with me. And then, you know, like we can switch and I can travel back and forth. And my mom looked at me and she was like, are you fucking kidding me? You're not doing this. <laughs> um, yeah. So whenever I would raise my head a little bit too high, they would be like, no, 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 no. You do Push your math. Back you down. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> back to geometry. 
Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of safety, was there a time that you did ever feel unsafe? Because I I don't know a single model who hasn't had an uncomfortable photo shoot or a really uncomfortable experience with a casting director in Paris or something like that. Did you experience any of this? Oh, I had tons, for sure. There is one particular stylist who I think, I mean, she probably doesn't remember me at this point, but when I was like 16, 17 working in Paris and I was working pretty well in Paris, she would just like hate me. Like, I don't even know where it came from. Um, (laughs) She was, she until today, she's very powerful. Um, And she was kind of known for being just total asshole to girls. Mm -hmm. She would do this thing that I think a lot of girls experience. And I remember speaking about it to like a group of girls where you would go for a fitting for a really uh, known brand and she, you would come out in the outfit and she would just put a hand over your face, like <laughs> looking at the clothes without seeing your face oh for each God. single, <laughs> yes, for each single outfit. Um, <laughs> and she is also a person who made me cry at one of the shoots. Um, luckily it was with Patrick de Marchelier and, um, I, one of the makeup artists, I think it must have been like Stefan or somebody, one of the French makeup artists, didn't do anything when it was happening because she was giving me shit about my posing and not showing the dress. I don't even know, something ridiculous. Right. Um, and me, like, just like, I closed myself and I started crying on a set. And like, when I left the set, all of them were like, oh, don't worry, she's just a bitch. But nobody would tell that to her face, you know? That was the right. problem. And that right. was the issue for many, many years with the power of like, they were all allowed to do this because totally. they were who they were mm-hmm. and nobody would speak up. So when those stories started coming out, especially about some casting directors who are like holding you for seven hours sitting on the stairs, mm-hmm. I've been there, like I've done that. But I would never think that this is, it was so normalized, like by my agency. They would, I mean, they would literally like send you an email being like, oh, just make sure like you're probably going to spend like 10 hours there. Like it was normal. Nobody questioned that. So it, again, it's this narrative of like, you should just be thankful that you're there. You know, correct, yeah, correct, correct. I was doing looks for, for example, for Calvin Klein. And I remember girls fainting, and it was like a daily thing. It was like so normal. Like people are just fainting. I mean, girls are like in the light and like not drinking enough water. They're gonna faint, and uh, and uh, you know the people like the people in the dressing room were like, oh, again, okay, get the, get the packet of a sugar or whatever. Like, what? How is this normal? <laughs> Did you ever feel like? you were being treated as like a subhuman at some point? Because that is insane. If someone faints, you do more than give them packets of sugar and tell them to be vertical, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would now, uh, but I was not who I am now back then. And like I said, I was told that this is normal. So (laughs) um, I never questioned it until, I guess, people started talking about it. And I was like, "Oh, oh my God. Yes, like, why are we agreeing to this? I mean, I remember getting a call sheet for a shoot with um, Terry and um, Terry Chachon. Yeah, total um, psycho, but continue. And uh, it was a campaign. It was a clothing campaign. So there was very little chance that something would happen. And it was like a group picture. Right. But still in the call sheet that was like, oh, you know, everyone knows who he is. Just be mindful you know, like that was like, right. Like, be careful, girls. Like, something might happen. Okay, go tomorrow at 8 a.m. 
Like, you know, and, and the fact that this was, that he was allowed to work for so many years and without any consequences. And even though there was one story, he would come back the next season, you know? Right. Yeah, that's just wild. I want to touch on Victoria's Secret for a second because in 2015, you became a Victoria's Secret angel, which at the time was absolutely monumental for a model's career. I'm curious what your experience was working with them. Um, So Victoria's Secret, even though I was, what, 21, 20 when I started working with them, I would consider they came late in my career Mm -hmm. and I've already had so much success in high fashion that I wasn't prioritizing them. Mm-hmm. And it also has to do with something that I didn't grow up in America and I almost didn't really get the hype. Uh. Um, so, you know, I wasn't aware how big it was, honestly. That's crazy. But you'd heard of the so, models like Giselle, Adriana Lima. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But I also I also knew that Giselle, you know, was opening Chanel. Like I like mm-hmm. for me, that was the big stuff. Like right. I never thought that Victoria's Secret was never my goal in my career. Let's call it that. So I think it helped me in having this healthy relationship with them mm-hmm. where they came to me and I didn't come to them. I am not jumping in the air. <laughs> I look at my agent and I go, really? <laughs> and it's not that I wasn't appreciative of the opportunity right. or anything like that. It was that I didn't see myself as that girl ever. So when it happened to me, I was I went in my head, oh my God, do they want me to become this girl? who can be bubbly and, you know, talk about a bra and, you know, (laughs) walk a show and blow kisses. Because I physically can do it, but I don't think I represent (laughs) the brand as they would want me to. (laughs) Right. I think it was an experiment. It was an experiment for me and for them. And I I honestly, I, I really like to be part of the team and I didn't have bad experiences, but it's, I guess it's also because, like I said, I approached it with like a grain of joke the entire mm-hmm. time. You yeah. know, I, I, it was such a, I was so distant from the idea of like being this best girl at VS. Like I've already been so satisfied right. with my career that this was just the next step of doing something commercial. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was just going to say, you're like this, this Polish sass queen, you know, like you're not like the bubbly, <laughs> like blowing kisses on the, on the runway. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I guess this is something that helped me the entire, like, time that I work in this industry that I was never taking myself too seriously. And it was Mm -hmm. very much that with Victoria's Secret that obviously the moment I got the contract and even before that, when I wanted to work with them, I was aware that it takes um, a certain amount of time to work out and to work on Mm -hmm. my body. And obviously this is going to be exposed much more now than ever before. So... I signed up for it and I, mm-hmm. you know, I was working on it. I never in my entire life had to push my body to the point when I was unhealthy, luckily. But this is only because I'm lucky. And I know that a lot of girls, unfortunately, don't have that. Were there ever times in your life where you did get comments from 
I mean, the powers that be about, oh, you have to, you know, take an inch off there, an inch off there. I also know so many friends that have just gone through hell and high water with this where they're like, your thighs are too big. And they're just like, you, 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 I was fine three weeks ago, you know? And it's just... I remember this one time where I was still doing a lot of shows and I must have been only 16 or 17. And I saw an interview of a casting director who I work a lot with. And, uh, you know, back then they're already trying to push like, oh, why are you not doing more plus size or whatever? And he was asked um, if there is like, if why is like the plus size not on runways? Hey, and the answer was like, oh, there's no plus size, but there's bigger girls. And my name was mentioned. And I was like, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just love that sometimes, even unconsciously, I was considered like the girl, the curvy girl. Mm-hmm. Not So, yeah. This is how it works. (laughs) I want to talk about anxiety for a bit. When was the first time you remember feeling anxiety? I think probably already in my 20s. I don't think I had that before. Mm -hmm. I think when I was a teenager and when I was working, I just didn't care enough to have an anxiety. Like, I didn't go deep enough with my thoughts to even have that. I was just going with the flow and didn't uh-huh. have a moment to to overthink like I do now. Yeah. Um, Childlike naivete. I totally get exactly. it. I'm, I'm I miss tr- it. Me too. I'm trying to revert <laughs> to my child's mind where nothing bothered me. And, you know, a problem that would have been explosive now was just like not a thing. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I think um, it started more when I started making my own decisions, like in my 20s, where, you know, I would move to New York and like the phone, again, the phone wouldn't call for like two weeks or something. And then I would be left with myself, with my own mind and think of like, okay, what if this ends now? What am I going to do? You know, what's my backup plan? Because I always knew that I need to make one, but I never made one Mm -hmm. because it just kept on happening. Mm -hmm. My work kept on coming. So okay, if I, if I need to restart my life now and do some other career, what it would take and I would never be as successful and this and that. So this is still very, very there for me that my anxiety comes from trying to, deba- to be like the best uh, at being me, but also not being really sure what I am mm-hmm. because of the job that I do and it, like how much it is part of me. And if that's gone what what is left really mm-hmm. um so it definitely helped that you know now i i have a husband and a child and you know i made a life for myself and um it is better that way that i'm not just like flowing in an open space because i have mm-hmm. a daily routine and um i have somebody to take care of but then on top of that because now i want to be a role model and i want to do well and we live in a crazy world and I want my daughter to, you know, have a great future and have a lot of opportunities. So this sometimes create a bit of anxiety of just what world is right now and what it's going to be for her. That's mm-hmm. just scary shit. How do you handle anxiety when it comes up and what does it feel like for you? Like for me, it's in my throat, in my chest and... I get very tunnel vision-y where I can't think of anything besides the problem. And it will just like drill nonstop into my brain for, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Then it'll stop until I remember it again, you know? 
No, I'm sorry. That's okay. terrible. You're like, you're like, that doesn't happen to me. That's a you thing. I'm like, I want to hug you. If you weren't on the other side of the world, I would just hug you now for saying I this. Um, for me, uh, it's. I don't think it's as deep as it goes in your head. Like, <laughs> so it, it takes me happen. a while. No, it could be. No. <laughs> Did I just make it sound bad? Like, you're, no. No. No, um, no. Listen, it's. I know that there's a lot bad going on outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the anxiety these days come, like even, you know, watching what's happening in my country and I'm so yeah. much closer now. So yeah. I see that pretty much every single story that comes out in last years from Poland, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it makes me like hate my country and the people mm-hmm. who are in charge. And mm-hmm. it just like makes me want to throw up when I hear mm-hmm. something new. But then, you know, I circle back and I say, okay, what can I do to do this? Like, I can post about it. I can, like, link it to people that want to donate money. I can donate money. I can speak to my friends back home, how we can make this better, you know. So there's things that we can do. Um, and that's what, what makes it go away, I guess. You mentioned in the past that you've been a follower. I'm curious what you meant by that. I could argue about it, but I'm not going to because I've grown to the idea that there is followers and then there's people who, you know, make the decisions and they are the ones who are being leaders, exactly, being followed by others. So I definitely fall in the category of followers and I've always had, like, even though I think I am mentally strong, I just sometimes choose to follow and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of okay with it now that I'm older Mm -hmm. I don't fight it anymore. I'm curious how it feels to be left to your own devices when you're not told what to do and when you can't always be a follower. Um, scary. <laughs> yeah. Are you? Scary. Um, I think the most empowering thing that ever happened in my life is having a child. Mm. And I guess this is why I'm okay saying what I'm saying. Like, this is why I say, oh, being a model often means you being a follower. But I'm okay with it because I now have this little person who I made and I raised and she's awesome. And, you know, it's like, I don't really need much more confirmation that I can do things. Final question. Yes. What drives you? I think what drives me is a need for improvement. (laughs) working on myself and being a role model to whoever is watching. And I was never a person who had like posters in my room of people or anything like that. I never had role models when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. But then I think in 2016, I got to meet Christy Turlington and Mm -hmm. she is the angel. (laughs) I swear if there is a human angel, she will be it. She is just so inspiring that especially the transition that she did from fashion to just doing good and just like having a successful organization and caring for all the right things. And Mm -hmm. anything she says, I believe in, no matter what she would say. I want to be this. And this has been a big drive for me to just be a better person day by day. That, mis amigos, was Monica Yagatchak. You can follow her on Instagram at Jack Monica. There is no K at the end of the Jack. And you can follow me at Gillian Sagansky. 
I always want to hear your thoughts on this episode and all the episodes. So DM me comments, questions, concerns of the past season. Hopefully you didn't have any, but if you did, I'm here for all of them. I also want to know who you want to hear from next season. Whose brain do you want to get inside of and deconstruct, put in a blender, press puree, and hear all of their secrets? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm going to go try to remember what it is that I do with my spare time when I'm not working on this podcast. What do I do? Do I read? Do I rollerblade? Do I bird watch? Do I collect rocks? Follow me on Instagram and find out the truth. Until next time.